You're listening to the weekly podcast of the services at Stonegate Fellowship Church in Midland, Texas. For more information about Stonegate, visit StonegateFellowship.com. Let's go ahead and uh, try to get started here. It's good to be back with you. Um, Really, really good. Let me make a couple, uh, well, one announcement. Uh, David Turner, make sure everybody knows who you are. Stand up there in the back. Um, He's taking a group to Guatemala, leaving the 31st of January, returning the 7th of February for water well work with Living Water. Um, And so if you are interested, need to have passport already? Okay, see David when this is over, and uh, he'd be glad to let you know the details of that. Again, the 31st of January, come back on the 7th of February, be in Guatemala. It's about uh, $1,900 is the cost of that trip. So uh, if you're interested in going doing some work on mission and really just blessing people with something we take for granted most often, not as often around here, but uh, see David about uh, that trip. wanted to recommend to you a book, and uh, this is really for... If you have children or grandchildren, uh, nieces or nephews that are graduating high school or college or are in their 20s, okay, I would recommend this book called The Defining Decade, okay, it's called The Defining Decade, Why Your 20s Matter and How to Make the Most of Them Now, okay, The Defining Decade, the author is named Meg, M-E-G-J, J-A-Y, Meg J., Let me give you a quick um, heads up. She's not a believer, okay? So don't buy this and read it and go, something's wrong, okay? She's not a believer, but she's a counselor who has devoted her career to counseling people in their 20s. And the, the, uh, the gist of this book, if I can use that phrase, is she's basically telling 20 somethings, quit waiting till your 30s. Uh, to figure out what to do and start doing it, start doing now, and uh, you weren't meant to wait around for it, okay? She's discovering what many of us have kind of watched with a decade that get in their 20s and think there's something they're supposed to discover in their 20s and do in their 20s, and then all of a sudden they get to their mid-30s and go, I, I think I missed that, and they've wasted a decade. So um, anyways, given to me by my oldest son, and I read it, and it's a fantastic read. We'll be giving this to our seniors when they... Uh, are finished with us this year in our senior group that meets on Wednesday nights. And a reminder, if you have a senior, we do meet on Wednesday nights here up at the church. We meet in here with the students at uh, 7, and then we go to another room and spend time with the seniors. It's a great, great time that we spend together through May. Let's pray together and get started. Thank you, Lord, for this beautiful day. Uh, Beautiful day because you have allowed us to wake up. You have put a day in front of us that you have seen, that you have been in, that you know, and that you have a plan for us to run the race in. Let us begin to run well this morning. Open our eyes to see wonderful things from your word, more importantly than from any counsel I would give. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, This morning, I'm going to fulfill a commitment I made to most of you in the spring of last year. I mentioned this uh, eight tests of transition. Many of you asked me to go ahead and do it. I never did it. So in my time with you in October, I'm going to do this today. If we don't make it through it, that's fine because most of it is fairly self-explanatory. And then starting next week, I'm going to take you through sort of a, a flyover of the book of Mark. So we'll go through the book of Mark starting next week. And I'll spend four weeks with you in that 16-chapter uh, book. 
Before I get to this eight tests of transition, um, I was reading in an article not, the, not too long ago. It was an old article. It's actually from February of 2012. It reminded me of another article that my friend Andy Deck recommended to me years and years ago. Um, and it was, it was an AARP magazine. I was not reading AARP just yet, but I was doing some research and this showed up. And it was uh, a doctor writing a report of patients who lived three to 12 more weeks after a, um, a terminal diagnosis or they'd been told they were not gonna live much longer. And so these were the uh, five things they said they wish they'd done. And so this goes along with the, you remember that statement years and years ago, the Reader's Digest article? So here's what they said. Uh, those who were given this diagnosis, you have three to 12 weeks to live. And they, they did only live that long. Number one, you're not gonna be able to write all these down, so you might wanna write it in code. Wish I'd live my life true to myself and not the life others expected of me. Most never honored half of their dreams is what they confessed. So let me read it again. I wish I'd live my life true to myself and not the life others expected of me. Most never honored half of their dreams or commitments to themselves. Number two, wish I hadn't worked so hard and been wiser with the demands of others. I wish I'd learned to simplify and create space. I wish I had learned to simplify and create space in my life. This isn't biblical, but it is Usually when people are nearing death, they speak more biblical than when they're not. So number three, wish I'd had the courage to express my feelings. Many of them felt they'd become ill because of bitterness and resentment. Number three, wish I'd had the courage to express my feelings. Number four, wish I'd stayed in touch with old friends. All that remains when it's all over is love and relationships. Wish I'd stayed in touch with old friends. I would encourage you today, because more than likely out of your quote unquote subconscious, you'll think of an old friend today and um, call him. I have a good friend who lives in South Carolina. Well, he actually lives in Vidalia, Georgia right now. Um, and his name is Bobby Thompson. And every time he calls me, um, he, he says, Patrick, which is the way he talks. He says, my dad told me a long time ago, somebody comes to your mind, that means you should probably call him. And he does. And he calls me and, uh, you know, you, you sort of get, you're sort of, you're tempted to say, I'm a little busy, I can't talk, but you realize somebody's put, the Lord's put somebody, you on somebody's heart. So anyways, wish I'd stayed in touch with old friends, except I would put a caveat to that. That doesn't mean get on Facebook and find your old girlfriend from high school, okay? Um, you laugh, but uh, that has been the, uh, the beginning of most of our problems in counseling would be Facebook. Number five, wish I would let myself be happier. Wish I'd let myself be happier. I wish I would allowed myself to be happier. I'll read those real quick. Wish I'd lived my life true to myself and not others. Wish I hadn't worked so hard and I'd made space. Wish I'd had the courage to express my feelings. Wish I'd stayed in touch with old friends. And I wish I'd let myself be happier. So there you go. Um, so the list you have in front of you, this eight test of transition began... Um, I forgot how many years ago, a good friend of mine had been doing what most of us do when faced with a decision. He'd been praying about it and seeking the Lord, and he called me, which probably wasn't in the same category. And he said, I'm confronted with a decision. And he outlined for me what he was considering, and he said, could you please give me some advice? So uh, I hung up the phone, and I told him an old-fashioned phone, not the cell phone, and I said, give me some time to think about it. And I began jotting down notes. This was probably about 10 years ago, now that I kind of think about it, maybe longer. Because 10 years ago to me was just the other day now. So I uh, could have been 20. 
I said, let me think about it. So I began writing these things down and making sure that with each one that I'd written down, I could give him where I was finding this in the scripture, and if not, why I was saying it. So I've been working on this document, not since October, but since, again, I'm going to say about 10 years ago. I don't think this document relates simply to your career, what you do for a living. I think it relates to what you do um, in your volunteer work. I think it has to do with what you do in sort of your hobbies and different things. So I'm going to take you through it, and, um, and it's what I gave to this friend of mine. And I actually would say something to you before we get started even more, or say more to you before we get started, um, that would offend you. Some of you it will take back. Some of you, you will say, that's patently wrong. Um, I would expect three-fourths of the room to say, I really do not agree with that. But that's okay. I'm not saying it to stoke you. I'm saying it so you understand where I come from. Um, the reason this kind of document is so important to me, and then there's a second document I will hand out to you if you want it, that I'll describe here in a minute at the end. I think many of us spend a, an inordinate amount, and I would even say unnecessary, and I would even go so far as to say wasted amount of time praying about things because we don't know what we stand for, we don't know what we believe, and we do not know what we'll die for. And therefore, we have to spend so much time trying to come up with a mysterious answer from the Lord that oftentimes we miss opportunities to make a greater impact because we sit around trying to figure out an answer from the Lord that guarantees me that I won't make a mistake. And so when I put this in front of this friend of mine, um, that's kind of where I began working on this. The document that I will hand out to you at the end, if you're interested in it, is uh, 23 years in the making in my life. And so I would call it my constitution. And so we'll go to that. Let's go uh, down this list. I'm going to go pretty quick, um, as is usually the case, but I don't want to insult your intelligence by pausing too much. We're not talking about the necessity of work. Work is designed and given by God for your joy. We're not talking about your pursuit of happiness. We're talking about a greater joy. We're not talking about the gain of money or possessions. Both are instruments for something bigger. Nor are we talking about the perfect plan. That's impossible. Proverbs 16, 3. What we are talking about is a big enough why to cause me to adjust or to change my current what and how. As you guys know, I'm a fairly large fan of Simon Sinek's book, Start With Why. And that goes back. He's not the first to talk about it. There's people before him. There's people before him. But once I figure out why I live and more importantly, what I will give my life for, then I can start working on what I do and how I do it. So really, if you have your why set, most everything you're doing is just an adjustment of what you do, it, what you do and how you do it. I would suggest to you that the Lord is much less concerned with what we do and how we do it than why we do it. And most of the time, we're not praying about a why because we don't know it yet. So the next thing, a willingness to think through a change in my what and how that lines up with my why. You should read the book, Start With Why by Simon Sinek, if you have never read that book. Uh, Simon Sinek is S-I-N-E-K. It's a short little book, but uh, it's pretty profound and it's just just a good book. So here's test number one, the test of calling. I will not read all of these to you, but I will read the first paragraph. If you have any thought of a move or a transition, it must begin with a personal assessment of how you're doing with two clear, unconditional life mandates given in the scriptures found in Matthew 22, loving the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself, and Colossians chapter 3. I'm not going to take the time to look those up. If you're new with us and you, you leave here and go, well, this was called a Bible study and he never opened it, I'm going to give you scriptures to look up, okay? So don't, you know, if you leave here and say that, then I apologize. Well, I really don't. I'm just, um, but that's what it is. 
So to say this with more clarity, am I loving God with my whole being and am I pressing into the ideal of doing whatever I do as a form of worship and expression of the glory of the Lord? This is a question of who you are more than what you do. If you have not learned to worship the Lord in your labor where you live or where you work now, then you cannot operate under the assumption that you're going to learn to worship the Lord in your labor in some other job, okay? You are either a worshiper in your labor or you're not, and no, no change in, in, in venue is going to change that. So you, you must learn to... And, and, one of the first ways you learn to worship in your labor is by making sure your labor is an offering of worship, okay? So in other words, you, you have to be able to get to the end of the day and um, in an imaginary way, put your labor on a platter and say to your king, this is my gift to you at the end of the day, okay? If you can't do that um, scraping gum off of a soccer uh, clinic like I used to do, then you'll never do that standing on stage trying to preach the gospel, okay? And you need to be training your children in this. Because if you cannot offer your labor of your, your pre-cal homework to the Lord, then someday still you're going to have to learn what it means to worship in labor you do not love, okay? So if you can't offer worship in labor you do not love, you'll not get the chance to do what you love and give it as an offering, You've got to learn to love the Lord and demonstrate your labor for him before he will trust you to be seen by men. This is a question our elders have asked over the many, many numbers of years. We've adapted and changed in some ways, but we ask this question, are you fulfilling the mandate of your vocation? In other words, are you working for the Lord first and not for man? And are you working in a way that demonstrates devotion to Christ in your work and life? Unfortunately, many of you in this room will leave this place or have left this place and your behavior and conduct and language at work betrays the fact that you made your first stop at church before you went to work. That has to change. And, and that is who you are, not what you do. So it's just a critical aspect of how you work. And I've said some other things there. The very last comment, I'm just gonna skip down on that page. Are security, identity, belonging, purpose, and competence in the right order, or is it time to get them in the right order? In other words, if you don't know your security, who you can trust, if you don't know your identity, who you are, if you don't know your belonging, who wants you, then you will live based on what you think is your purpose and competence first. And many of us have our identity wrapped up in what we're good at rather than who we are. If you know who you are, you will seek to be great at whatever you do. And, and that's the proper order. Let me give you some other scriptures, okay, that you can write down under the test of calling. Psalm 119, verse 36 and 37. Psalm 119, verse 36 and 37. Um, Incline my heart to your word, O Lord, and not to gain, is Psalm 119, verse 36. Incline my heart to your word, not to gain. That is the I, listen to this very quickly, that is the I in the IOUs that I pray in my quiet time. Incline my heart to your word, open my eyes to see wonderful things from your word, unify my heart to fear you and you alone and satisfy me and you and you alone. Those are all prayers out of the Psalms and Proverbs. Here's another scripture for you to write down. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9 through 10. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9 through 10, as well as verse 17 through 19. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9 through 10 and then verses 17 through 19. Let's continue to test number two. Test number two is called the test of contentment. The test of contentment. 
I'll give you another scripture to write down. Hebrews chapter 13, verse five. Hebrews chapter 13, verse five. I will quickly look that up and read that to you because I'll just do it quickly. Hebrews 13, verse five says the following. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Realizing that contentment is a settledness in your identity not a settledness with possessions. You will never be settled in possessions until you are settled in peace with who you are, okay? When you study the word contentment in its languages that are used in the scriptures, it is never referring to contentment with what I have. It is always referring to a contentment with who I am in Christ, which then dictates my contentment with everything else. We're teaching the opposite in culture. We're teaching people to try to get to a place where they're content with a possession, lack thereof, or quantity that's great. Contentment has nothing to do with being happy with the Chevy when you can have the Maserati. Contentment has everything to do with the state of my heart. That's what it has to do with. And so be very careful about what you think contentment is. If that's not settled, you will never be satisfied in what you can gain. Okay, that's the bottom line, all right? And, and so let's, let me push through that. Um, is there a growing desire to settle in and go deeper into life and community? One of the things I asked my friend when he was considering a change is I said, is there, are there greater relationships for you to pour into or do you feel the Lord is pushing you into another arena of relationship? In other words, are you content, so to speak, to settle in this community where, where his community was? Um, I'm going to let you read some of those on your own. Let me go to the third one. They're not numbered, but is there a sense of restlessness and a desire for something more? Maybe even a sense that you're not in your place anymore. I introduced a word Sunday in our message together, and I want to, I want to give you this and you can write it however it sounds right to you. I would call this a settled readiness, a settled readiness. I mentioned to our congregation um, Sunday that this idea of, of being settled but ready for whatever the Lord might want to do or the door he might open. There's, that's a difference in being angry and wanting to get out. But being able to say in my heart, Lord, I'm good here. I'm, I really am good here, but I'm ready if you, if you want to do something else. Be careful though, that, that, that tip's pretty easy, okay? And the Lord knows your heart, so be careful. Don't go home today and go, you know what, Lord? I'm settled. Not really settled, but I'm gonna tell him that I'm settled because if he thinks that I'm settled, then maybe he'll give me another opportunity. So don't, you can't do that, okay? You, you have to be settled, and, but I'm ready. And, and then see what happens. Um, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave you with that. You can, you can read the Apostle Paul's prayer in Philippians 4 about learning to be content in every circumstance, which is, that is why he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He doesn't say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me so I can score a touchdown. He says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me because he gives me the strength to be content in who I am in Christ in any circumstance. That's why he says, I have learned to be without, I have learned to be with gain. It doesn't matter. I'm content because of Christ and who I am in Christ. Number three, the test of personal growth. Have you exhausted the possibilities in your current environment in spite of your personal growth? Number two of number three, have I reached a lid that demands attention in this place or does it demand a fresh approach in another environment? I'm gonna stay here for just one second. You might have pushed the limits of as far as you can go in a particular place and and what happens is you believe in your heart the Lord has set you aside for greater influence. And that's when you start saying, okay, that's not gonna happen here, 
Do I need to move to another environment? With a good friend of mine, this was a major question. Has, is the Lord, are you capped out here and is there greater influence you feel the Lord is calling you to? That is a very, very, very dangerous avenue of pride, okay? Very dangerous, because all of us go, I, you know what? I think that I am supposed to run the world. And, and so you, you wait until the world shows up, but that's not the truth. This is, this is a real heart issue you gotta deal with. But I wanna pause for a minute and talk to those of you who are employers, okay? Because I wrote this question down to employers. Are you allowing a growth environment? Are you pulling in the 20-somethings and the 30-somethings and seeing if you've put a lid over them? And are you offering an opportunity for them to grow into something even more? And are you presenting them opportunities to grow? One of the things I fear in our current environment is that everything is moving so fast and people are being put in positions so fast that they're not growing into positions. I'm very concerned about that. I'm very concerned that they're not even growing into their income. Very concerned about that. I have no problem with how much money people can make. I Go for it. But I do have a problem when you realize many of you in this room have, I'm gonna use an old phrase that I have found 20-somethings don't like. Many of you have paid your dues. Does that make sense? And, and I'm not saying, you know, you've had to work in the shop, but many of you have. And, and you've learned what it was and you have appreciated what you've learned and what it's allowed you to earn. The problem is because we're on such hyperdrive here, we're, we're putting people in positions that really they don't even know what they're doing, but the systems allow it to appear like they know what they're doing. And they don't. And one day, whether it's, whether it's a leveling or a bust, Someone's going to find out, I don't think I know what I thought I knew. And the greatest thing is not whether you can do something, but whether you can lead people. And, and so I'm very concerned about whether even those of us who are employers are walking with the youngers, so to speak, not you, Charlie, but the younger people, and, and whether they're um, bringing them along. And so about a year ago, I started calling into separate meetings all of our employees who were under 30. I did that last, last year. I haven't done it again this year and started walking through them in a book called Five Levels of Leadership and, and different things like that. And what's interesting, and if you are an employer and you have employees that are young, I would challenge you to visit more with them. Um, and it's gonna take about three, four, or five visits until they're honest with you, okay? Because first, they're gonna try to impress you. Second, they're not gonna tell you what they feel. And third, it's just gonna take time before they trust you. Okay. Now they'll say, oh, I trust you, sir. I mean, what are they going to say? You're such a Scrooge, I, whatever. So anyways, I got to go. Have others grown and are they growing as a result of my career or is there work to be done in this area? In other words, are there greater investments for growth and training in others that I have yet to make in my current environment? Who am I investing in? You can, this isn't on your notes. Who am I investing in and is my mission field done? I thoroughly believe that although all signs may point to a great opportunity, the Lord might point to a person that keeps you from pursuing another opportunity because you haven't invested in that person yet. In other words, I believe the soul of someone in your environment is more important to the Lord than what you think is a greater environment for you to move to. You hear that? Like, like if he, everything may line up to go, but the whisper of the Lord in your heart is you have yet to share Jesus with that guy. Or, or walk with him. 
So I always believe a soul will trump what you think is your greatest opportunity. Uh, one, two, the fourth, the big fat paragraph there quickly. There is always the very real possibility you do what you do so well and are paid so well for it that you can settle down and expand your influence through a greater philanthropic focus. If this is the case, you will need to grow yourself outside of your day-to-day expertise in order to be most effective in humanitarian investments. This change of direction will not fix the problem of boredom related to calling, core needs, and contentment. Now, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to stay long here, but I'm going to tell you a, a quick story. I was sitting down with someone the other day. This was very much the other day. This was not 15 years ago. This was about a month ago. Sitting down across the table from a man. Now, this is all I'm going to give you, okay? Who was, and I'm not saying this to be, imp- he was worth a lot of money. And... Um, and I asked him, I said, have you ever not been able to make money? He said, nope. And, and he wasn't, he was very humble about it. He said, everything I do, it just blows up. And, um, and he, uh, he said, I do not have to work another day in my life, but I'm too young to not work anymore, but I don't know what to do. And then he said what all guys in this situation say who go to church and think this is the only answer for them. You know, maybe I should just quit and go into full-time ministry. To which I said, Please, no, Please, no, 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 no. Because we're going to have a building campaign. No, I didn't say that. But I said, I said, um, I said, what you've got to understand is that it is not your talent or abilities, as good as they might be, that turns everything into gold for you. It is the Lord who does. I mean, Proverbs chapter 11, verse 22 says, the Lord who gives wealth and adds no sorrow to it. Some of you are busting your hump to get rich and you haven't busted your hump to get content yet. And so this young man was content. He was, but he, and I told him, I said, my friend, you've got to learn that God has given you the ability to do something for the very reason that you can invest in the work of God and the life of others. Don't lose that calling. And then I put him in touch with some people I know around the country who are in, the, in this situation. And a friend of mine in South Carolina, who I think I told you the story about I met years ago before I came to Stonegate, who picked me up in Hilton Head, South Carolina and took me on a tour. And um, he was wearing Sansa belt slacks. Remember those? And, um, and he was wearing tassel loafers with the tassels torn off. And, um, and we were driving around in an old Cadillac and he was the guy who invented the sun visor in your car, the, the drop-down visor with a mirror on it. He showed me the prototype made out of an aluminum ice tray. Remember those? And he cut the bottom out of it, put it on in a deal, and he held, hold, held at that time over 100 patents on the dashboard. And I said, what do you do now? He said, I retired when I was 42. And I said, what do you do now? He said, once I discovered that I could fly to breakfast at Brennan's on the, in any morning and come home, one day I woke up and said, I have too much. And he said, I sold everything and I give away 90% of everything I have. Now, I'm sure that's not most of us in this room, but if the Lord entrusted us with that, what would we do? That's what the test of personal growth is all about. Uh, the last thing I do want to say this, beware the temptation of greater pay for the same work. If you haven't worked through calling and contentment, you will only gain more and arrive right back where you are right now. Life is meant for progression, investing in others and giving, not just for gaining and settling. The goal is not to quit, but to invest in life and people. The goal is not to retire. The greatest hindrance to economic development in this country is retirement. 
because we're teaching people to find a place to quit rather than teaching them to not quit until the Lord is finished with them. So be careful with that. Test number four, the test of opportunity. Um, okay, Does it not, has an opportunity presented itself in such a way and in such a fashion that for you and your closest advisors, it is undoubtedly an opportunity without question you cannot pass up? Does the ask, I always am hard on the K, does the ask or the opportunity line up with your biblical life values? Okay, here's this handout, okay? When I made the statement that I believe most of you will disagree with, but that people, I think, oftentimes uh, pray some, overpray something, I think it's because they don't know what they believe, what they stand for, and what they'll die for. This was taught to me in 1991 in a hotel room by a guy named Ron Fishman, and quirkiest man I ever met. But he challenged me in 1991 to write down my personal constitution. I'm going to give you a copy of it if you want it, okay? And there's 13 points to my constitution. You could call it my Bill of Rights or my Bill of Freedom. This is a 23-year-old document, okay? It's a living document, not in the sense of the current way that our administration treats our constitution, but it is a living document in the sense of this is how I live and what I live by, okay? And I, every single one of them have scripture to go with them. I work through this every year. If you want a copy of it, you can have it. If you don't, it doesn't offend me or hurt me whatsoever. But my constitution is mine. It's not yours. It's not copyrighted. It's not anything like that. But it's certainly not intellectual property. But let me, um, quickly, I'll tell you what some of these are, even if you choose not to get one. Number one, holiness. And there's a full paragraph to that. Number two, integrity. Number three, love. Number four, family. Number five, no regrets. Number six, friendship. Number seven, knowledge and learning. Number eight, physical fitness. Number nine, excellence. Number 10, freedom and opportunity. I will, I will read this one to you because I was raised in an opportunity that if people, met, in a culture that if people made mistakes, their opportunities were over. That drove me to some other things. So I wrote it this way. I'll do whatever it is I can do and must do to enable myself, my family, and others the opportunity to become and pursue all that God has designed, called, and gifted them to be. And I'm committed to the tireless effort to remove obstacles that society and institutions erect in order to hold others back. I believe the Lord is the final judge of what we can and cannot do. And it is not our place to make this call, but wholly trust in the Lord while at the same time offering every opportunity for others to live out a new life and freedom in Christ. So that's number 10. Number 11, risk more. Do not be afraid. I added risk more under the Abel blue roof under, after a sermon I heard. Number 12, reflect more. I added that after a sermon I heard. Number 13, legacy, leaving more behind than I started with, leaving things, institutions, people better than they were when I came upon them and before I got involved. So when someone asks me something or an opportunity presents itself, I sift through that in a hurry and I don't have to pray about it. I've prayed about it. You understand what I'm saying? And most of us pray about it because we don't know what we believe, live for, or what we'll die for. And so we miss opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. And we say, Lord, show me your will. And he's going, what about that? What about that? And what about that? And what about that? And you blew by it and you thought it was spiritual to stop and pause and say, Lord, show me something. And he said, show me something. So let's keep going. Number five, the test of service and authority. This is a big one, especially for you young guys. And you older guys who never learned this. Are you content to trust the Lord and learn under weak leadership? You cannot serve over until you learn to serve well under. There is a reality to the old idea of paying your dues. Okay? You, and the Lord did that in the lives of his servants. Look at, look at Joseph, especially. Um, in many respects, you can even look at the life of Jesus who learned to grow and to mature under his parents. And then when he was 30, he... He launched out, beware of the thought, if I were in charge, um, 
Oftentimes you get the opportunity to prove your claim and you might just have to eat your words. Um, Proverbs chapter 18, verse 12 says, humility comes before honor. I've, I've, I've had fun recently with some people who given the opportunity to, and if you'll do this with your younger people, I think it'll help. Because your younger employees do have an answer to the problem you think you can't answer. Now, it may not work, but they, they think they have an answer. Or at least they've identified the problem, right? Because they go and they complain about it at home, right? Just like you did when you were their age. So if you get to a relationship with them and they begin to finally express to you, hey, I, I think this might be a problem. The very next question is, well, then help me fix it. How do you want to fix it? And the first thing you'll see is a look of, uh, I changed channels. I don't know. Uh, look it up on the internet. And, and so it's one of those things where you just, um, it's easy to know what everybody, what you think everybody should do. It's another thing to have to do it. So anyways, learn to serve under. You can never serve over until you do. Test number six, uh, the test of risk. Have I taken all calculated and necessary risk for success and effectiveness in my current role? Is there a nagging, deep in the gut feeling of a need for change, but a fear of risk is killing the dream? But a few dream checks. These were added um, about 1990, no, 2004, when I was sitting across the table with a guy who um, was um, putting his family in jeopardy. And so I added these three, a few dream checks. It would jeopardize my family's needs. Now, needs is critical because there's, Needs are defined differently when you live in a boom. Understand what I'm saying? So I didn't say it will jeopardize my family's standard of living. There's a difference, okay? But you also have to be in unity. You can't just go home and go, sweetheart, guess what? We're going to live in a shack and chase the dream, okay? Unless she picks the shack out, you're in trouble, okay? So be careful. Number two, there has not been substantial pursuit, investigation, and planning alongside of reality. Now, some of you will take number two and say to me, Patrick, do you not do that because of your list? No, that's not true. But I will look at this and I can look at things and say, okay, do these things line up? So there, there's, you know, it's not just I'm winging it, although there's this opinion that all I do is wing it, but there has not been substantial pursuit, investigation, or planning alongside of reality, then you're probably dangerously risking the lives of others. And number three, few if any confirm this dream in your life. That goes to that whole issue of who's speaking into your life that this is true. It, it also requires of you at times in your life to ask people what they see in you that you don't see in yourself that you might be missing, that the Lord might be opening up a door. Number seven, the test of others. Are those you trust the most speaking a dream into your life? Are people speaking something into your life? Are words of affirmation lining up that you might need to pay attention to? But also the warning, um, are you remaining open to faithful challenges rather than lining up suckers and saps that love you? What I mean by that is, you, all of us know who the people are that we can go to and say, you know, I'm thinking about this. And their response, you know, you can do anything you want to do. You're amazing. Okay? So, like, don't ask your mom. And, and, and so... <laughs> It's because every single one I know, I know you don't live in my environment, but I know who to find on Sunday if I didn't feel like it was very good. You know what I'm talking about? I can always find the person who goes, that's the greatest message I've ever heard. Now you've said that for 15 years, which tells me you haven't listened to a message, but we all know that how can I find a person that will, will, will talk to me? Like my, my, my youngest son will tell me what he thought of it with nothing held back. 
you know, he'd be like, that was terrible, dad. Or, you know, he'll, you know, recently he tweeted, don't usually give my dad props, but this one was okay. I was like, wow. So <laughs> he's certainly not a sucker or a sap, but um, not even sure he loves me. But anyways, I, you, uh, you guys know where to go with that. Who's, who, who are you allowing to speak that into your life? And especially in times of transition, which oftentimes if you think you're in a time of transition and you allow people to speak into your life, they might expose that you're trying to get out of something or get away from something or you're missing something. So it's very easy. Test number eight, the test of succession. No matter what you're leaving, assuming you leave or move on, are you intentionally leaving it better equipped and prepared for its future? If you have never thought about succession, but you are thinking about moving, you have things in the wrong order. Who are you investing in to leave behind? Will the organization be better prepared for success after your departure? Or do they have to figure out how to do things because you left it a wreck? And that counts whether or not you're training someone how to properly be a worker in the field or whether you're training people to run the company to greater success in light of your succession. It also speaks to how you're raising your children to have a succession of your legacy and what you're pouring into them and what you're enabling them to do and what you're empowering them to do. A great fear, this is not in your notes, but you might want to write it down. A great fear of timely succession is the one that says, what else can I do? We oftentimes fear proceeding, leaving and moving on because we're afraid of what's ahead and we need the Lord to show us what's ahead when oftentimes the Lord is, is having us. I heard a phrase, I'll use this phrase. Um, when we were in Israel and our guide, we were, I forget where we were standing actually, um, and he gave us a quote that, that they use when they're growing up. He says, walk, how do, how do you say it? You remember how he said it, Charlie? He said, go, go into the future walking backwards. Move into the future walking backwards. And this is what he meant. He said, oftentimes we teach people to set their gaze on the horizon, but they forget where they've come from and why they can get there. And he said, we teach our children to walk into the future backwards so you always remember the wisdom of the ages who are teaching you so you can move forward. That's pretty stout. That's pretty stout. Walk into the future facing backwards. And, and we must walk into the future. What we do is we, I do it, I, I gaze into the vision of my future. And I'll, come on, rather than I can get to the future because of you, Jim Sinclair. I can get to the future because of you, Gene Burgess. I can get to the future because of you, Rod Goodsell. I can get to the future because of you. I can get to the future because of you. And I drag with me a generation that comes along. And then when it's time for me to step over into a new opportunity, I'm here because of that. And then I move in my calling again, looking back. That makes sense? So be careful the way you look. Just to give you an idea of some biblical succession, Moses gave it to Joshua, Elijah gave it to Elisha, David gave it to Solomon, Jesus gave it to John and Peter, Paul gave it to Timothy. As uh, many of you have heard, make sure you have in your life a Barnabas who encourages you, a Paul who challenges you, and a Timothy you are pouring your life into. Uh, I think the last page on those notes has a book list. It's kind of outdated. I forgot that it was on the back there, but uh, it's nonetheless a good list of books. All right, I know that's a fire hose, but um, you, uh, you have the notes and I hope it helps you and pass it on to somebody. It's not copyrighted or anything like that. It's probably not worth the copyright, 
But uh, if it helps you, great. If it doesn't help you, look at the scriptures as well. If you want a copy of sort of my living constitution, you're certainly welcome to have one. Let me pray with you. Father, thank you for our time together. Um, Would you enable us, empower us, and equip us to be wise, filled with wisdom, understanding, and insight as we go about this day and as we pursue this thing, uh, living out this thing called life. We live it with a bigger picture, bigger objective, bigger purpose. Thank you for this time. Bless these men. May they preach well by the way they work, by the way they sell, by the way they explore, by the way they produce, whatever they do. Somehow may people say about them that something different and peculiar is evidenced by the way they labor. Would you bless this day? And if you allow us to come back next week, uh, open up our eyes again to see out of the book of Mark what you want us to learn. And it's in Jesus' name, amen. Reminder, before you leave, tonight at Stonegate, if you'd like, is our element service, baptism, communion, and praise. Love to have you at seven o'clock. Have a great day.